y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, the co-host of Nancy from WNYC Studios, Tobin Lowe and Kathy too. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend. That's to y'all. Oh. oh. <laughs> it's like, are we here? Are we not here? We are here. <laughs> That's what this week of news did to y'all. Yeah, we're fuzzed out. I'm so fuzzed out. Listen, I had to just like, I had to avoid TV screens during like the Kanye situation at the White House. I was like, I can't. But I digress. We're not going to talk about that this hour. Great. Uh, <laughs> anyway, as my Aunt Betty said, my two guests today are a very dynamic duo. You may know them from their work hosting the podcast Nancy, a show full of stories and conversations about the queer experience today. I'm talking about Tobin Lowe and Kathy Too. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Yes. I'm so glad we messed up within the first minute. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Pressure's off. It's only up from here. Uh, they are joining me from NPR Studios in New York City. I'm in L.A. The magic of technology has us all dancing to the cure. Are you dancing yet? There's some shoulder movement. Okay. Okay. This is my favorite song from the cure, the, the goth rock band that was like really big in the 80s. And to be honest, it's the only song that I know from The Cure. It's called Close to Me. (laughs) And it makes me kind of happy. So I'm playing this song because The Cure is in the news this week. They are one of the 2019 nominees for induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, Oh, Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we took away different things from that. Sorry. (laughs) Cleveland is great. I love Cleveland. So there are actually 15 nominees this year. Uh, names you might know like Def Leppard and Devo and Janet Jackson and Radiohead. Mm. But I kind of want to see The Cure get inducted because I want to see what the reaction of their fans will be. Mm. So fans of The Cure are iconic and legendarily goth. Uh, and so they, like, they're the kind of fans that would be... If the Cure won, they'd be like, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah, would they actually be kind of pissed that they went mainstream in that way? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but they've been so, over so long, they are mainstreamish. You know, no? we're playing oh. them on public radio. They are over. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, anyway, congrats to the Cure and all the other groups. Um, we're going to start by having my two guests describe their week of news in only three words. Um, I'm going to go first this week, but I'll keep it short. Yes, please. I promise, okay? Cool. Mm -hmm. My three words are a brewing storm. Uh Aha. For obvious reasons. Yes. Hurricane Michael hit this Wednesday. Governor Rick Scott of Florida called it the worst storm to hit the Florida panhandle in a century. As of Friday morning, there are at least 11 deaths uh, caused by this storm, over a million power outages, And, you know, the same week this storm hits, there's a new report out from the U.N. Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And basically, the thrust of this study is we should all be freaking out over climate change. Well, the the number that is burned in my head now is 2040 and Mm -hmm. how Mm. that feels like tomorrow because it basically is. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so basically the study says all of the things that all of the countries had said they will do to fight climate change, it's not enough. The Paris Agreement is not enough. Uh, This report says that to, like, save the world, basically, we'd have to reduce emissions by 45 percent 
by 2030. Right, right. How do you do that? That would require entire economies to change fundamentally. It would require like new technology new to suck out greenhouse gases from the air. Right. We aren't there yet. Yeah. Even even though it's such an immediate thing, because you know climates are actually changing, we can see it, we can feel it, but it still also feels like it's kind of far off. So you don't have an immediate like response to any of the actions that you take. Mm-hmm. I feel like the conversation, at least between me and my partner, also immediately went to like, w- you know, we're a gay couple, and so if we were to ever have kids, it would be a very intentional choice. Mm-hmm. It would be, you know. Are we going to go down this route of adoption or um, having a surrogate or, you know, all those different things? And I feel like out of that article was immediately a conversation of like, well, do you do we want to have kids in this, you know, sort of bleak looking thing? Yeah. And, and I know that's like worst case scenario thinking, but it's a, I feel like it's a real conversation people started to have. Oh, it is. And, and there are experts who are saying the best way to actually lower greenhouse gas emissions and lower your carbon footprint is to have fewer kids or don't have kids at all. Like, there are scientists and experts saying that is the way forward, which is really interesting to think about. Yeah. We need Al Gore back with the PowerPoint presentation. Where did he go? What is he doing? He grew a beard for a second. Remember? (laughs) (laughs) He was like man of the woods for a little bit. He should come back with another documentary that's like, no, seriously now. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you should call it. No, seriously now. Yeah. (laughs) Tobin, do you have three words? Uh, Yes. Well, I'm going to cheat a bit and do four if that's okay. It's all right. (laughs) Uh, My four words are, that was my mom. (laughs) Um, This was a news story from this week that I feel encapsulates the weird alternate reality we all live in, Mm -hmm. which is that uh, this mother of what seems to be a very sweet son, um, posted on Twitter about him uh, with a photo. He is a Navy veteran, and he's doing a pose in his uniform. uh, And she goes on to write about... Describe the pose. Describe the pose. (laughs) It is uh, is like a power stance. He's got one knee up on, I believe, like a park bench, and he's leaning on his knee. Um, It does not help that his uniform, his Navy uniform, is pristine. So he looks less like a veteran and more like somebody in a community theater production of Anything Goes. Well, he has his... Elbow on his like <laughs> hand, and he's perched up and smiling and grinning with one hand on his hip. Right, it's like yeah. he, it's like school photo day. Exactly, and he is cheesing also from yes. ear to ear. So I have the exact text of the tweet. Actually, I'll read it. Uh, oh, go it, for it. it. This is from the mother of the son in the navy uniform. She says, "This is my son. He graduated number one in boot camp. He is a gentleman who respects women. He won't go on solo dates due to the current climate of false sexual accusations by radical." feminists with an axe to grind i vote hashtag him too right that hashtag had been before used to talk about how men are also victims of sexual assault but Mm -hmm. has now been sort of claimed by this other argument about men being afraid of doing anything basically because because the climate is such where yeah right exactly um so that was the initial tweet. And then Twitter took that and just dunked on this mom. Mm-hmm. As Twitter does. For a full day. And you had people writing things like uh, basically putting up like the guy from Psycho and <laughs> oh, no. tweeting like, this is my son. He loves his mother. He runs a motel. It was like that sort of thing. Oh, no. But then the son from the photo decided to create a Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> and join Twitter to say, that was my mom. Oh, I'm seeing the tweet that he posted in response. He's wearing civilian clothes, but still mm-hmm. doing that pose with mm-hmm. his hand hand on one hip. 
uh, elbow on the other knee, perched up on his hand with his face. And he says, that was my mom. Sometimes the people we love do things that hurt us without realizing it. Let's turn this around. I respect and believe women. I have and never will support hashtag him too. I'm a proud Navy vet, cat dad, and ally. Also, your meme game is on point. <laughs> so he low-key disavowed his mom. A little bit. I mean, I think that to me this story is so emblematic of this thing that I think we're all going through, which is so many people are bad at talking about sexual assault. Mm. Oh, yeah. And, and not just that, that like in this, um, you know, when people say like we need civility, we need both sides of the conversation, there's sort of this like false setup of – on one side, we have women who uh, have been assaulted and are talking about it. And the other side, um, given equal weight, are men who are falsely accused. And it's like, that's not the way this works. Right. Like, that is not the yeah. opposite side of this conversation. Yeah. Well, it also points to this really interesting way that even amongst families mm -hmm. <laughs> and amongst people that are close to each other, there are really divergent views of the Me Too movement of sexual harassment and assault, of what constitutes that, like, these conversations aren't even happening yet within families. Right. And they should. They should. Yeah. Uh, so update, this uh, Navy guy, Peter Hansen, he already has 43,000 followers. Wow. What? <laughs> <laughs> you better work that, Peter. Spawn I do con. remember his brother saying that he's always trying to get him a date, so I think this probably has worked for him. <laughs> Oh, my God. Way to go, Peter. Way to go, Peter's mom. Everything is all's well that ends well, right? Let's hope. Yes. <laughs> Kathy, you have three words? Sure. Um, I've got coming out day. Okay. Um, National coming out day is always every year on my birthday, which oh. was yesterday. Happy birthday. Thank you. I am now 33 years old. You're Jesus and year. And What? Jesus died when he was 33. Wow. <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> oh, you're what so a, lucky. What a day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what a day. Anyway, go ahead. I cut you off. National Coming Out Day. I remember when I was coming out back in college, I used to feel embarrassed about it because even though I was fine with it on my own, I felt like it was um, almost being broadcast, like my sexuality was being broadcast in a way because of this, this quote-unquote holiday. <laughs> um <laughs> This national day. Um, and as I've become more comfortable with myself, it's become less of a less of a burden and more of like a cause for celebration. Now I get to share my birthday with National Coming Out Day. And it's yeah. like, it's mm -hmm. great. I love that. Yeah, it's a totally. great thing. Who else gets that, huh? You don't get that, Tobin. I don't. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so this is actually the 30th anniversary of... National Coming Out Day. Mm -hmm. And we were lucky enough on the show to do an episode all about it. So listeners, uh, it's in your podcast feed right before this one. And we have coming out stories from listeners. We have some archive tape of like Ellen mm. coming out way back in the day. Ellen. But you know, it is one of those things where like we have seen coming out change over the years as sexuality and gender has become more fluid. Mm -hmm. But every year you're reminded like the day is still needed. Because it's mm -hmm. still hard for some people. And until it's not hard for anybody, we yeah. probably need it. I definitely think that we still need it. And the people that say that it's not needed, I feel like those are the people that um, the state is not for. You know, <laughs> the people that's like, who cares if you are going to declare that you're coming out? 
that's because this isn't for you. It's for the people that need to see it, need to see yeah. it happen, need to see people of all different ages and colors, social class coming out so that they feel like they can too. Yeah. It's important. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about this episode you guys had uh, with Samira Wiley. Yeah. So um, recently we just dropped an episode um, with Samira Wiley, the actor in Orange is the New Black and The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, I love her. And she's so great. Love Samira. And just such a fun person to be around. Um, but we asked her about her coming out and she told us that she was accidentally outed um, by a cast member in the first season of Orange is the New Black. Oh, she wow. wasn't out. I just assumed that she had been because I think she's, everyone kind of thought by the way she presented, you know? Yeah, and she she's such a she plays such a confident gay woman on Orange is the New Black. I think we all just assumed, but um she wasn't comfortable yet. Mm. And um she um she said that it was a, a thing that was taken away from her. It's a thing mm. being able to come out in your own time, that's the thing that you have for yourself. And that was taken away from her. Um, and so to, you know, eventually come back from that and then to still be a proud gay woman, that takes some time. And okay. I think people need to not feel the pressure to come out on National Coming Out Day, you know, regardless of your um, where you are in the world, where you are with yourself, on your journey, on like whether it's even safe for you to come out. Like that's a very personal decision. Totally. But if you can, we'll celebrate you. Yeah, most of and, us well. and the thing that I always remember about coming out day is, for most of us, it is never just one day, oh. right? Oh man, <laughs> it's just. Yeah. You're like, I gotta do it again, and again damn. and again and again yeah. and again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, y'all. It's time for a break, but we're gonna come back. <laughs> uh, when we come back, we're gonna talk about voting. Florida votes next month on whether to restore voting rights for more than one and a half million felons in the state. We will tell you why this measure is gaining more bipartisan support than you might think. And also, after that, my favorite game, Who Said That? This week, it involves wine. Oh. I'm never going to get anything. (laughs) You're listening to It's Been a Minute. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Hinge. Hinge is the dating app that's great at one thing, setting you up on great dates. And they're not just saying that. On Hinge, three out of four first dates lead to second dates. They are the number one dating app mentioned in the New York Times wedding section. So if you're looking for a BFF, a job, a pen pal, or a hookup, Hinge isn't the place for you. Hinge is exclusively designed to get you out on great dates. Download Hinge in the Apple Store or Google Play. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Babbel, a language program that quickly teaches real-life conversations in a new language. Choose from Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Babbel's 10 to 15-minute lessons use interactive dialogues and speech recognition technology to get you speaking your new language correctly and confidently. Try Babbel for free by downloading the app or going to Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com. I'm Maria Hinojosa, and this week on Latino USA, a conversation with Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who recently adapted her memoir for a young adult audience. That's this week on Latino USA. Find us on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was... I'm Sam Sanders here with two great guests, a dynamic duo, you might say, Tobin Lowe and Kathy Tu, hosts of the podcast 
Nancy. Hi, Sam. Hello again. I love the name of y'all's show. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Nancy. <laughs> it That's, has an energy to it. That is also how we say it. <laughs> Nancy. <laughs> yes. Before we get into the news again, uh, quick question for you. Mm. When's the last time you went trick-or-treating? Like door-to-door actual walk on the block? Oh, my God. Oh, probably when I was truly a child. Uh, okay. And I have a very... I have a very strong memory that I was the kid that embarrassed my parents at every house. <laughs> you embarrassed your parents? <laughs> what did you do? I think at the time I had no filter. And so <laughs> it would be things like someone would open the door to their house and I would be like, your house smells. Or, you know, like <laughs> just whatever came to mind. And so there would be a lot of like yanking me back. Nice. Being like, next house. Nice. <laughs> and you, I think you, I Kathy? trick or at a, at a mall maybe because my parents were not okay with going to people's houses yeah without like you know bringing a gift so i didn't do it because we were church folks and halloween was the devil's holiday so we didn't do that but i bring up trick-or-treating because it's in the news this week there was a town in virginia where they're banning trick-or-treating for anyone over 12 did you see oh come on come on i know the city of chesapeake virginia has a ban on the books right now of anyone over 12 years old trick-or-treating. No, what happened there? Like, something caused <laughs> this. Is, is this the town from Footloose? <laughs> is this where Footloose takes yeah. place? Who I got wouldn't hurt? doubt it. The city's <laughs> rationale is that, like, when kids trick-or-treat, they're just kids being kids. But when teenagers do it, they're just trying to start up mischief. Huh. Um, the, the local government website says they'll focus on making sure the evening is safe for everyone, not actively seeking out violations. For example, they say a 13-year-old safely trick-or-treating with a younger sibling is not going to have any issues. That same child taking pumpkins from porches and smashing them in the street more likely will. Oh, my God. (laughs) Chesapeake, Virginia. Man, the Grinch that stole Halloween. Anyway, now it's time for a segment we call Long Distance. That is a segment where we call up somebody somewhere in the world and talk about the news in their neck of the woods. If you want that to be you, just send me a note at samsanders at npr.org. This week, we are talking voting and who can vote and who can't vote. Right now in Florida, if you're a convicted felon, you are banned from voting for the rest of your life unless you obtain a very hard-to-get pardon or clemency. That could change very soon. This November, Florida voters will vote on Amendment 4. It's a ballot initiative that would restore the right to vote to more than 1.5 million former felons in the state. This would be a very big deal if it passes, and it's already a big deal if it does not, because this movement is one of the rare instances of relative political bipartisanship on display right now. One of the groups that's leading this movement is the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. One of their leaders is a black liberal. The other is a white conservative. That just shows you how bipartisan this issue is. Uh, That white conservative is a former lobbyist. He pleaded guilty to conspiracy charges some years ago. His name is Neil Voles. I called him up this week to talk about his story, his advocacy, and if this Amendment 4 can pass. Hey, Neil, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Just trying to make it, you know? Absolutely. Another feeling. Appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Thanks for your time. I know you're very busy right now. You've been traveling all over the state. Where was your last stop? Gosh, I was in Bradenton and Tampa, and I'm sitting here in Fort Myers. Okay. So I want to back up a little bit. Um, You used to work with a guy who's very well known in D.C., whose name our listeners may have heard, Jack Abramoff. Right. He had a humongous lobbying scandal back in 05. 
and right. you pleaded guilty to felony conspiracy as part of that? Yeah, I mean, in 2006, 12 years ago, I pled guilty to uh, honest services fraud charge. I got a felony, and honestly, man, it, it changed my life. It blew, blew up my life as I knew it, and uh, I made mistakes and was greedy and selfish, made decisions I shouldn't have made and crossed lines I shouldn't have crossed. Um, lost the house, I got divorced, and uh, moved down to Florida uh, to start over. And that was really a, 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 you know, a humbling experience, but also an eye-opening experience in terms of, you know, watching my uh, employment go from a nice job with a view of the White House to cleaning toilets and working the night shift, man, making minimum wage. Hmm. When you were cleaning toilets, where were you doing that? I was working at the Edison Restaurant in Fort Myers. At the, the restaurant would close, I'd go in on the night shift and, and clean, clean up the restaurant. Okay. Yeah. And so in Florida, you are one of 1.5 million felons there um, who don't get to vote. What do those people look like? Yeah. So if you, if you look at the um, the 1.68 million people who are disenfranchised in the state of Florida, less than a third are African-American. The largest portion are, are white. And then you've got folks who are Hispanic-American and we went to Trump rallies to get petitions and Hillary rallies and non-political mm. rallies and, you know, people from all walks of life, ultimately. Yeah. One of the things I found interesting when digging into the stats around who these felons are is that actually a very small fraction of these folks go to jail. They're just folks in the community. They have a conviction. But they aren't these, you know, hardened prisoners that we sometimes think of. Yeah, so if you look at the, the, the statistics from the Florida courts and the Department of Corrections, you'll see that about 170,000 people a year get a felony conviction in the state of Florida. And yet about 75% of those uh, are not sentenced to prison. You know, huh. there are people who are in our communities working with us, sitting next to us in school, next to us in, at the synagogue or the church or, you know, and why should somebody have their voices silenced for the rest of their life? for something that they were not even sent to prison for. Opponents of what you're pushing will say, well, wait, Florida already has a program to let felons regain their right to vote. It's a clemency program where you apply to have those rights reinstated. Is that enough? Yeah, so Florida has a clemency process in which people can apply uh, for clemency from the governor and some elected officials. And that process doesn't work as well as it should, because what you're looking at is a mandatory waiting period before anybody can be heard. Of how long? Of five to seven years, depending on what what your situation is. And then you've got an administrative backlog, which most people are waiting 10 to 12 to 15 years beyond the first five to seven years. I have friends who served in the military who you know, came back and wrote two bad checks, and they were waiting 30 years later to have their case heard. Okay. So your group is pushing for a blanket restoration of voting rights for all felons after a certain time. But do you think that there are any felons and any criminals, any crimes where those folks should not get the right to vote back? Yeah, well, the, the, the amendment for it would provide for the restoration of the ability to vote for people who have finished all portions of their sentence. It would not do that, though, for people who have a murder conviction or uh, sexual felony offenses. Okay. 
And that is definitely a reflection of how this amendment came about. This amendment came about by the people. Like the people put this thing on the ballot and collected millions of signatures. And, and that is uh, what we came up with based on what the public was saying they wanted to see. This is an incredibly crazily divided time in our nation's politics. And it seems as if this issue has not been that divisive. It has garnered support across racial lines and party lines, which is a thing that is so unheard of, especially right now. Why do you think this issue hasn't been so divisive? I think this is something that people from all walks of life can just grasp. Like there's a universal value here that so many of us can attach ourselves to and believe in. And that is just a simple premise that when the debt's paid, it's paid. You know, and that's one thing that we see wherever we go, whoever we talk to, whether you're a person of faith or not, or, you know, whatever your background is, deep, deep down, we, we, we see that people can grasp that simple, basic concept and value. And so it's really neat to see this idea of, you know, you got the Christian Coalition and the ACLU on the same page on an issue in a time when things are very divided and very partisan. And we're excited about that. All right. Neil, I know you're very busy right now. I thank you for your time. Um, I hope you are safe out there on the road. And we'll talk again sometime soon. Thank you. I do appreciate that. Thanks again to Neil Voles with the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. If you want to hear more about that Florida Amendment 4 initiative, there's an upcoming episode of the NPR podcast Embedded, hosted by a friend of the show, Kelly McEvers, all about this issue. Look for that in a few weeks. Kathy, Tobin, this could be a big deal. A one and a half million voters in Florida, which is a perennial swing state, that could change everything. Right. Yeah, and I learned a couple of things from this phone call that I didn't know, which I didn't realize that somebody can be convicted of a felony and not actually serve any jail time. Yeah, and in fact, most felons don't go to jail, at least in Florida right now, you know? I mean, listening to him talk about it, I was very curious about this aspect of it where it's getting bipartisan support and where mm-hmm. that comes from. It seems like there so often can be more movement on an issue if you can point out that it affects white people as well. Mm-hmm. That, True. Yeah. That, True. That True. sort of yeah, yeah. can get the ball rolling yeah. in a way that uh, other issues might not have as much traction. <clears throat> yeah. You know, there was a poll in September on on this amendment for uh, from the University of North Florida, and support in Florida was 71% to give these felons back the right to vote. Uh, and this amendment only needs 60% to pass. All right, all right. It is time for a break. When we come back, we'll play my favorite game. As I said earlier, this week it involves wine. So it's going to be fun. I'm going to lose. You're not going <laughs> to Stop with that defeatist talk. She's a non-drinker, so that's... <laughs> oh, then there's, gonna there's lose. a little bit of a reason there. I think I'm going to lose. It's okay. It's okay. All I right. win at other things in life. It's uh-huh. fine. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. B-R-B. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from the Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide to address inequality in all its forms. Learn more at FordFoundation.org. What happens when a family decides to adopt a child of a different race? All of my life, my parents have told me I'm just like my brother and sisters, but I wasn't and I'm not. This week on Code Switch, transracial adoptees speak for themselves. 
You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, here with two great guests today, Kathy Tu and Tobin Lowe, hosts of the WNYC podcast. Say it, real excited like. Nancy! Nancy! Yeah! <laughs> All right, it's time for my favorite game, Who Said That? Ooh, Who said that? that? I think you both know this game and how it works, huh? Yeah, I did a little bit of news scrolling last night to be like, remember the quotes, remember the quotes from this week, and I'm still probably not going to do well. I love how every week, without fail, my panelists are like, you know, I studied for this. And I'm like, it is a game where I literally tell you every week, you're not going to get anything. Okay, okay, cool. People Great. still study. All right. It's okay, I, But, Sam, I did not. Good. That means you'll probably win. <laughs> This game is so simple. I share a quote from the week. You both have to guess who said that, or at least get the story it refers to. Get a keyword. Just get close. Uh, as I said earlier, the winner gets absolutely nothing, but Great. maybe some bragging rights. Cool. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. Y'all ready? Yes. First quote is, quote, I got very mature 14 and 11-year-olds. My 14 and 11-year-olds drink wine. That's how mature they are. Who said that? Oh, boy. Can we get a hint? A famous athlete. Currently playing or not? Currently playing. Oh, man. Well, Serena does not have a 14-year-old. She does not. Who has a (laughs) 14-year-old? Plays basketball. Is it LeBron? Yes. (laughs) I told you you were going to win. Yes. So LeBron James, who just moved to the L.A. Lakers, uh, he had an interview with USA Today this week. And he, for whatever reason, told all these sports journalists that he lets his kids drink wine. Oh, LeBron. I think that's fine. I'm okay with that. What? (laughs) Basically, he said, whatever mom and dad are having, the kids have it too. That is not how I grew up. (laughs) (laughs) It just feels like to me like LeBron's trying to be cool, mom. He's that mom who's like, Uh, well, if they're going to drink, they might as well do it here at the house so I can watch them. (laughs) Like, he's cool, mom. (laughs) I think what we've learned today is that one day I will be a cool mom. (laughs) As long as you guys are in the house, it's cool. Exactly. (laughs) Kathy, you're up one zip. Oh, no, we're against each other? Okay, here we go. Wait, how did you think this worked? (laughs) Tell me how you thought this was going to work. Oh, I just thought it was like uh, when you play sports at the YMCA and it's like, points don't matter. (laughs) (laughs) We'll keep it that way for this one. All right. Next quote. You ready? Uh Yes. Ever since I played Trump, black people love me. They love me. Everywhere uh, I go, black oh, yeah. people go crazy. I know this one, too. Well, yes. say, it. say it together. You guys. Alec Baldwin. Baldwin. Yeah. <laughs> you both get a point. Uh, Alec Baldwin, who lost his mind in an interview recently with The Hollywood Reporter, he was talking about the reaction that he thinks he gets uh, after playing Donald Trump on SNL for so long. He says black people love him for it. A lot of folks didn't like him for saying that. Like me. Like, come on, Alec. (laughs) Also, what I love about that quote from Alec Baldwin, it is him actually sounding like Donald Trump. Also, it's like I have a black friend or uh, I would have voted for Obama a third time. (laughs) Sort of like in that family. Um. It is, I'm not going to say if it's tied or whatever. We're going to be competitive for this last one, okay? No, it's fine. Kathy has two. I have one. I'm a big boy. I can, I can handle <laughs> but you it. could tie it right now. Then we could go to like a freaking uh, overtime, Ooh. whatever situation, okay. Okay. Like, okay. A, like, a, like a final death thing or whatever. Anyway, just get the keyword or what this thing is about or something, okay? okay. Ready? Okay, yes. here we go. Quote, 
The passenger was advised of the policy and asked to deplane. Oh, this was a person who tried to bring on a comfort animal. What was, was the animal? Was it like a Is squirrel? Is it a peacock? Yes. <laughs> Wait, which one was it? Was it, it a squirrel? Was a squirrel. Oh, squirrel? So the peacock, which happened a few weeks ago, turned out to be performance art. Did you guys know? Oh, no. But this one was real. Um, this week, a woman was kicked off a Frontier Airlines flight. Of course, Frontier Airlines, because Frontier, mm-hmm. Lord, Lord. Uh, she tried to bring an emotional support squirrel on a flight out of Florida. You know what? I've been watching this show called Dr. K's Exotic Animal ER, and people have the <laughs> most insane uh, pets. I, squirrel does not actually phase me right now. <laughs> Wait till somebody brings their comfort links, then I will talk. <laughs> so this lady tried to hop up on the plane with her squirrel. Officers mm-hmm. had to come through and be like, you got to go. Apparently she didn't resist. <laughs> she just left. But there's this amazing video on Twitter this week of her leaving the terminal. She's being wheeled away from gate 15, and as she's being wheeled by the crowd, she just flicks them all off. (laughs) Just flicks them all off. Wow. What would y'all's service animal be? Apparently skunks are great animal pets. Apparently they're not. Who told you that? I I got this from Dr. K's Exotic Animal ER. What is this show? And it's on Hulu. It's amazing. And after you've gotten the skunk D, you take out the gland. Yes. I don't know if that's good. But that's their power. Mm -hmm. You can't take. I don't know. But they become the cuddliest little comfort Mm -mm. things. Nope. 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 (laughs) Nope. All right. Congratulations to Tobin. You won. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Now it's time to end the show as we do every week. We ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Brent, hit the tape. Hey, Sam. This is Abby from Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm calling from Santiago de Compostela, Spain, where I just finished a month-long, more than 505-mile-long pilgrimage by foot on the Camino Frances. We are now rewarding ourselves with some well-earned food and wine. Hope you have a great week. Hey Sam, this is Austin in Sheboygan Falls, Wisconsin. The best part of my week was walking through the front doors to my first ever house for the first time. Hi Sam, this is Katie from St. Paul. This is Erin from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This is Jess from Lansing, Michigan. The best thing that happened to me all week was finishing my very first marathon. The Twin Cities Marathon. The Chicago Marathon with a smile on my face at the end. With lots of friends and family cheering me on. Hi Sam, it's Michelle, Malia, and Andrew. And we're excited because the best part of our week is that my mom, is here visiting us in Boston from Hawaii, and it's her first time in Boston in 25 years. Hi, this is Sam in New York. The best thing that happened to me all week was texting my dad, who I miss a lot, and having him explain how the stock market works to me for the upteenth time, and actually finally getting it this time, I think. Hi, Sam. Uh, My name is Matt. I went on disability two years ago, uh, so just holding on to the small joys in life uh, are the best things, and that's why getting to see my granddaughters was the best thing for me. Hi Sam, this is Jen. I was driving home from work today and listened to your segment on National Coming Out Day, which I am embarrassed to admit I had forgotten about, Um, but it inspired me to actually come out to my family um, at the age of 39. I don't think I surprised anyone by making it official, but uh, I was surprised at how good it felt. And um, I just wanted to share that with you. 
Thanks. 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 Take care. Love the show. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Jen, thank you for sharing that. Oh, my goodness. So nice. I'm (laughs) verklempt every week. Oh, man. Thanks to all the voices you heard there. Abby, Austin, Katie, Aaron, Jess, Michelle, Malia, Andrew, Sam, Matt, and Jen. Um, We listen to all of these that come in every week, and we love them. So keep sending them. Um, You can share your best thing of your week any week at any point throughout the week just send me a note at samsanders at npr.org samsanders at npr.org and and as jen uh, pointed out we had an episode about coming out this week and we heard from a lot of listeners sharing more of their stories with us and we really really thank you for being so open and just talking with us about that stuff it's a great episode Mm -hmm. very good on that note we're gonna roll out of here mama we made it it's time for the cure yeah. This, is, this is their, well, this is the only song there's that I know, which I said earlier, <laughs> but I like this song. Congrats to The Cure for their nod for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If they make it, it won't even matter, will it? Nothing matters if you're a Cure fan. <laughs> this song ironically kind of makes me want to do the Carlton. Oh, wow. It has that kind of beat. Do it right now. Please do it right now. I'm doing it for Kathy, kind of. Just Kathy, take a boomerang of it. Take a boomerang of it. Send it to me, all right? Well, do. Yes. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry and Kumari Devarajan with help from Alex McCall, who just jumped on the team. Hi, Alex. Thank you for joining us. Today, our guest editor is Jeff Brumfell on loan from NPR Science Desk. Steve Nelson is our director of programming. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hokeman. And my big boss, our big boss, is NPR's VP of programming, Anya Grundman. All right, till next time. Thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.